I'd been every single club in England wanted to buy me. Um, I'd been in the England setup, um, but but instead of sort of the club acknowledging this and wanting to push me further, they were kind of halting my development. I support Arsenal, so for me, um, you know, I had a potential opportunity of signing there, offered really good money to, to sign me, um, but Bolton weren't interested, wanted to go to tribunal, and at the time, there was a few players that had gone to tribunal and the fees were extortionate. They weren't trying to develop me, so every player is going to have different strengths. My strength was obviously, you know, like attacking-wise, being creative, etc., and they weren't trying to, they weren't trying to develop that. They were trying to turn me into like a robot. We played Walsall, and I played right wing back and got three assists, but it didn't change the managers, change the managers thinking. Um, that's just football, and from the outside, obviously, you know, people don't see these sort of things, which is why I'm more than happy to to speak on my experiences because. That sort of shows me as a person, shows my mentality, because there has been times where there's certain things within the uni course where I got um, accused of copying, etc. when you know me, I don't even go to uni. So um, there was a lot of things that were sent there to test me and I, you know, I didn't let it affect me. I just believe in myself. I think if you don't believe in yourself, who else is? So ultimately, I think you've just got to be so... Uh, You've got to be so confident in your own ability because when you get these knockdowns and the big knockdowns that not many people can cope and a lot of my friends who have got similar backgrounds to me have, have give up. They've give up playing. But yeah, if I can get back to League One, top of League One, I'd be absolutely buzzing that. Hello and welcome to the KS Podcast, the home of stories, stories of people. Podcasts are a very big passion of mine. Um, I'm inspired by podcasts such as the True Geordie podcast and most recently the High Performance podcasts. And that's why I've started my own. Um, this is going to be the home of stories of people where I interview guests from various different uh, walks of life and I really try to find out what makes them tick and how their experiences and their learnings in life have shaped the people that they are and how that then plays a part in what makes them in their own fields in a very relatable way to me and you watching at home elite and how that brings them success and I hope you do enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoy the podcast that I've been inspired by so whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on Spotify, Anchor or any other podcast platform please do support by subscribing, following, liking, definitely sharing and of course comment below because your feedback is always appreciated. So, without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you later. Hello everyone and welcome back to the KS Podcast, the home of stories, stories of people. Uh, if you're joining us after the previous episodes, thank you for listening so far, whether that's on YouTube or Spotify. Uh, please continue to support the podcast uh, through following, liking, sharing, and commented, of course. Uh, today's episode is the kind of story that I made this podcast to tell. And today's guest has experienced sort of, excluding the Premier League, he's, he's sort of experienced the highs and the lows of the football pyramid. And I thought it would be brilliant to bring him on to show us that side of the game. Because everyone can talk about the elite, everyone can talk about the highest, highest point of the game. But in reality, 
a lot of players exist in this in this area of the of the football pyramid, and, and their story isn't told enough. So please welcome on today's episode of the KS Podcast, Elvis Easewell, not new signing to re-signing. Uh, James Cater, welcome aboard, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, uh, like I say, great to be uh, asked to come on and sort of share my experiences. So yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to to be here. Uh, before we kick off, obviously, you had a game yesterday, um, first win, and you got a goal as well, didn't you? Yeah, no, best start, really. Um, I think if you'd have sort of imagined what your best start to pre-season would be, it would be, you know, get through it and, and try and score a goal. So, no, I really enjoyed it yesterday. Got a good 45 minutes under the belt and, and a nice goal to top it off. So, so yeah, all, all in a good day's work. At, at this stage of the, of the pre-season, is it mostly about getting minutes in the legs for you and sort of just fitness wise? Are you looking at sort of, oh, I want to see how I'm playing, how I'm getting my goals and things like that? Yeah, I mean, certainly the first few uh, weeks of pre-season and the first few games, that's all it's about, sort of fitness. There's a lot of trialists that go into every club that the manager obviously has to look at as well. So, you know, certainly with the contracted players, it's just a case of, you know, getting, getting as much out of it as you can. And then towards the end of pre-season, that's when sort of the manager will look to, you know, decide what formation he's going to play and position specific players. So, um, but yeah, no, like I say, it was just good to get 45 in the belt. And whenever I play anyway, I always try and play to sort of the best of my ability. So I was just glad that I put on a bit of a performance yesterday. That's good to hear. And of course... There's plenty more games to come, so we'll keep an eye. But going to today's um, main topic of the podcast, now I'll start with the question I ask all my guests. Um, what is the first memory, the earliest memory you have of what you do? So in your case, what's the earliest memory of you playing football? Yeah, so the earliest memory that I sort of have is being in the back garden with my dad about four or five years of age, um, just placing footballs in front of me, like five footballs. I'd have to hit five with my right, five with my left. Um, into the goal so uh, that would be my earliest memory sort of of being introduced to football sort of me dad getting me in the back garden and working on both feet yeah and in terms of that aspect with your dad a lot of the people that I've basically listened to and I've spoken to there's always a family element within the early formation of what they're going to go and do so was your dad a big influence on you going into football yeah like I say without my dad introducing me might have took a different path. Um, he was sort of a very uh, athletic person himself. When he was younger, he played a lot of rugby. I, I'm from Widnes, so Widnes is, is a rugby town. Um, but he all, also always loved football. So without him introducing me, like I say, I might not have played football. So from a very young age, uh, with, with, with all of my siblings, sort of, we've all been introduced to a variety of sports. And that's an interesting concept of being introduced into that, that sport. Was he ever pushing you to a certain sport or was it a, a wide range and you just go for whatever you like? Yeah, no, it certainly wasn't pushed into like, right, you know, you're zoning in on football. Through a young age, I played loads of sports, even into, you know, when I was signed um, at my first club, way into secondary school, I would still play rugby, I would still play uh cricket, basketball, you name it. So, yeah, I've always just been quite a competitive person and I just feel that sport gives you that 
sort of release that you know I like and I enjoy. Well, so in terms of that, you've mentioned like your family and, and you know you were pushed not really pushed, but you were introduced to different sports. What was your family background like? What what kind of background is that? Tell, tell us about that. Um, yeah, so both my parents have always been quite athletic. Um, my mum was a very keen swimmer when she was younger. Younger, My dad obviously played rugby for Witness Vikings, who are like a professional rugby league team uh, in the younger age group. So, you know, that, that sort of background that I have, and, you know, I've always had um, parents that sort of wanted you to be active. I mean, I know if you compare to this sort of gener generation now of kids that maybe go home from school and they've all got phones or they've all got PlayStations. I never had that. I would come home from school and I'd be back in the back garden or the local park playing uh, football or any other sport. So, so yeah, no, I've had a really good upbringing, um, been very stable. So, so yeah, it's, it's been good. I'm interested in terms of having two athletic parents. Was that a good thing for you or do you almost feel maybe you missed a little bit of... Almost as if one parent could have been the athletic one, and one maybe, oh yeah, you know, I don't overwork yourself. Or do you think that was a good no, thing? I for think you? it was good. Yeah, um, I always say to anyone, I think you're a product of your environment. So having sort of like-minded uh, parents, for, for example, it's always going to be more beneficial than negative, in my personal opinion. No, fair enough. So you're introduced to football. You're playing in your backyard. How do you go from there? What happened after that that made you really think? You know what? I could I could make a career out of playing football. Obviously, at that 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 young age, you're just enjoying it. Um, so following on from the back garden, we were quite lucky that we lived op opposite a, like a, a massive playing field where like loads of local teams would play. So that was my first introduction to sort of local football. So I just went across the road, asked if I could join in, sort of thing. And at the time, I would have been about six. Um, and the, the earliest teams at those times were under nines. So I was playing three years up at that time. Um, and that's sort of how it how it went on, really. I sort of was playing locally seven to eight. I was sort of trialling it at various teams because what would happen at those days, you'd play a lot of local tournaments and scouts would be there. So you'd then um, sort of go to these places for six, seven weeks, whatever it may be, and... You know, three, four times a week, even at such a young age, my mum and dad would be obviously leaving work early to take me to, say, United, Liverpool, Man City. Um, and then when you were able to sign for clubs, which is under nines, um, at that time, I, I'd then been going to Bolton and, and sort of got offered a got got offered a sort of academy contract there on a, on a rolling year basis. So following on from that... Um, obviously, you know, you go through the through the system and I would say when I was about 13 was when I, I really thought to myself, I've, I've got a good chance because I got offered a scholarship, which is sort of your full-time contract at 13. Uh, obviously, three years in advance, I was playing up a lot, so I was playing way above my age groups. Um, but at that time, I obviously didn't want to sign it, but that was the first real inkling that I thought, yeah, this is something that I want to do because prior to that, it would just be a case of you wouldn't think about that side of things. You'd just be enjoying training, enjoying your matches. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't think of any of that up until that point. So, you're playing 
you know, way above your age group, and that's that's in itself an instant of where you think, oh, actually, hang on, like I'm pretty good for my age. I can make something out of this. So, talk to me about that experience. Was that almost, you know, were you were you intimidated by that playing above your age group, or did you almost take it on and go, actually, I belong here? No, yeah. So I loved it. Um, every time I got the opportunity to play above, I loved it. And then when I go back to my old old age group, I'd be like, you know, this this is wasting my time, sort of thing. So. Uh, now, like, I absolutely loved it. So, um, I was playing up sort of in under 11s, I was playing under 12s, under 12s, under 13s, under 13s, I was playing up again. And then when I got to under 14s, I was playing under 18s. So, you know, it, it was it was good. It was good for me, um, obviously, being exposed to sort of older players that are going to be slightly stronger than you. And you, you have to adapt your game because ultimately, they're going to be more physically developed than you, but you've got to try and find different ways. Um, so, so now it is always something that I sort of enjoyed. I think a big part of that that time is 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 when they call it like a tactical sponge or like just a sponge in general. Players of that age are like a sponge. They take on information. Was there anyone um, when you were at that stage that gave you any advice that you you know took on and, and implemented later on? Um, I mean, so there was, a, there was a transitional period at Bolton at the time. So prior to under-14s, there was like a whole different coaching staff um, who were really into like flair players. So people like myself, you know, I still speak to some of the coaches to this day that um, would really like promote me and, and sort of acknowledge that I'm a bit different to the other players. Um, so, you know, there'd be instances where they'd just give us a little advice on the best way to get past a player or whatnot. Whereas when the transition changed, he brought in sort of old school ex-Bolton players from like the third division who had a certain type of way of playing, i.e. like long ball football, which was completely different to me. And, and you know, they would not understand or acknowledge me as a player. So... They would like want me to maybe take a touch and just whip it in instead of maybe doing a dribble, taking a few step over, that sort of thing. So uh, it, it was definitely different. Um, but I would say that the coaches that sort of stood by my beliefs were, were prior to the, the transition. I've, I've always kept in touch with them because I think it's always important to, like I say, um, be around people that understand you or you know know how to get the best out of you. Yeah, and that, that whole thing of, you know, they didn't really acknowledge the kind of player you were and maybe they didn't sort of harness that. Do you think that was a theme later on in your career? Or do you think maybe yeah. you had to adapt a little bit? Yeah, no, massively. Um, obviously, I was on a, a massive upward trajectory um, sort of up to that point. You know, I'd, I'd been, every single club in England wanted to buy me. Um, I'd been in the England setup. Um but, but instead of sort of the club acknowledging this and wanting to push me further, they were kind of halting my development and took me out of... So by, the, by this point, it would have been under-16s. They, they took me out of the team for six months, just bearing in mind I'd been playing under-18s football since I was 14. They, they put me back to the under-16s. I wasn't playing for six months, so I'd just be training. Um, wouldn't give me a reason for it, and... Further down the line, it was ultimately down to the fact that I hadn't signed my scholarship. Um, and it was like, well, if you don't sign your scholarship, you're not playing. And that, of course, I 
I support Arsenal. So for me, um, you know, I had a potential opportunity of signing there, offered really good money to, to sign me. Um, but Bolton weren't interested, wanted to go to tribunal. And at the time, there was a few players that had gone to tribunal and the fees were extortionate. So little things like these just halted the development at that time. Um, but, but, but yeah, it, it's, I, I, I'm always a sort of a believer that everything happens for a reason. So all these sort of things that I've experienced sort of as a young player, it's, it's sort of made me mentally stronger going forward. You mentioned that they didn't sort of they sort of almost used the the fact that you hadn't signed that scholarship as, as almost a, a reason as to go, this is why we're not we're not helping you out. Was there a reason you didn't sign it or was there something was it just because you didn't want to? Yeah, I didn't want to stay. Like I say, um ultimately they weren't they weren't trying to develop me. So every player is gonna have different strengths. My strength was obviously, you know, like attacking wise being creative, etc., and they weren't trying to, they weren't trying to develop that. They were trying to turn me into like a robot, which is not what I wanted to do. Ultimately, you know, I got to where I got to, i.e., in the England setup. All these clubs interested me because of my ability, and it was just disappointing, really, that um, they were they were acting that way. But look, I'm, I'm not the first, and I'm, I'm certainly not the last that this happens to. It happens. You know, in the Premier League, never mind um, at, at youth level. So, so yeah, that that was my main reason. I didn't want to stay there. I, you know, I couldn't really see a route to the first team because the managers at the time there was there was no route. There was no youngsters that were coming through from the academy. Whereas other teams in the Premier League at that time, you know, there was better pathways at other clubs. So for me, I was thinking about myself. It would be, you know. The, it would have been, been the easiest thing for me to sign a scholarship, but ultimately I was thinking about my career and I didn't feel it was right. And instead of them, in my view, acting in the right way, they, they didn't and ultimately halted my development. I find that interesting because when you read about, you know, the youth development side of it and, and a lot of research has gone into it where people go, and you hear pundits say it all the time, where, at that age, you've got to just take on board what your coach says, try and adapt and, and take everything on. Whereas you've gone, actually, I got here by being myself and I don't want to betray that. So do you think that's an attitude more players need to go by? Well, like I say, every, every player is different. So every player is going to have different strengths. And ultimately, you're there. You've been signed by that club and doing whatever you're doing for a reason, because, because of you. Not because you've been prior coached or whatever, you know, I got picked up at, from from local football because, again, I, you know, I was doing things that other players weren't doing. You know what I mean? So, I, I think you have to know yourself and understand yourself and, and understand how to get the best out of you. It's, I think uh, I listened to Sterling uh, during the Euros, and you know, people were saying, "How did you go from sort of this this winger that was, you know, not scoring goals, poor and product to to?" this machine that he's scoring a lot of goals now he ultimately looked at himself looked at what he does well and and sort of acted on that i think that's that's a, a mentality respected to me i think that's a lot of there's a lot of people who end up being successful have that mindset where they go okay i'll adapt to an extent but if you try and change who i am that's just not going to happen and i think that is a, a very respectable thing so 
Right, so how did you end up leaving Bolton then? So how did that end up happening? If they're saying no to the offers like Arsenal, where they're offering decent money, how did that end up happening? Yeah, so in the end, I, I had no choice. Um, clubs that were sort of wanting to buy me weren't prepared to meet the asking price. The following were, and you, you have a deadline that you have to reach. So I ended up signing on the last day for Bolton, obviously did my two years there. So even when I got into the scholarship, you know, like as soon as I signed my scholarship, they were playing me again. Um, that, that sort, it was just all mind games. So, you know, I, I did my two years there. But again, it it was all pointless because you would have thought that if I'd made my eight, under 18s debut at 14, uh, 14 I, you know, by the time I'm 16, 17, I'd have been pushing first team. But, you know, I went into the under 18s you know, played pretty much the two years for them, played in the reserve team, but it, it there just wasn't that progress that, that you would expect to see. So uh, it was coming up to like the contract and renewal stage. And I thought they were just going to hold me back again. Uh, or sign me for another year, waste my time. But, but fortunately they, you know, they decided like, yeah, we're going to let you go now. And I, I was over the moon. I mean, I know a lot of people would have sort of been a bit gutted at getting released, if you say, but I knew that I wanted to leave for a long period of time. I finally got my chance to. And, you know, I had a, a wide variety of opportunities uh, that presented themselves. So I ended up going to Derby um, for a couple, a couple weeks with the first team. Did really well there and then... Nigel Clough, who was the manager at the time, called me into his office and um, and said, uh, do, do you think training's crap? And I went, no, why? Well, we've had someone from uh, Bolton calling us saying that, you know, you think uh, training's crap, Derby's a crap club. And, I, and if you know anything about football and infrastructure, Bolton and Derby is chalk and cheese. Like, Derby arguably got a Premier League training ground, amazing fan base, etc. And all it was was Bolton, again, were trying to hot my development by contacting the first team manager at Derby, trying to make up, you know, lies. Um, so, you know, I played a couple pre-season uh, friendlies for Derby. Played really well. The fans, you know, I got a, an amazing reception on Twitter from them. Um, and at the end, he was like, "Yeah, we're not, we're not signing yet." And it was clearly because of, you know, what Bolton had said. So off the back of that, I then went into to Blackpool. Had a good chat with Ian Holloway, and um, before signing me, he just wanted to sort of have a look at me. So I ended up playing against Everton's first team. Scored on the debut. Uh, played against Swansea away in another pre-season friendly and did really well. And straight off the bat, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you're a bit of me." So I'd gone from sort of wasting away in the under-18s for four years to then going straight into a first team in that environment. And, uh, you know, he seemed to, like, look at me. And even the, the day that I was going up to sign my contract, the club secretary ran me going, you know, Bolton have been on the phone. <laughs> it was outrageous, mate. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how they get away with these things, but this, this isn't just them. This is... You know, plenty of clubs will do the same thing. Just to, it's just out of spite. Um, but that's that's how I ended up leaving. So then that's why I then fortunately, you know, managed to sign for Blackpool. 
Obviously, when I mean, first of all, that's ridiculous to hear. I didn't know clubs do that where they just yeah. rig each other up and go, oh, by the way, you just signed this guy who did this, and they're like, oh, bloody hell. But yeah. anyway, I suppose that's all just in indoor politics. But so you get to Blackpool, and all of a sudden, you're in the environment you wanted to be in first team, championship club at the time, weren't they? Yeah. Um, and you're thinking, right, this is a bit of me. Now I could focus on trying to get into the team. So how was that experience? How was Ian Holloway, first of all, as a manager, and then that experience of training in that environment? Amazing. I mean, I, I look back on my time at Blackpool, and the only thing I wish would have been that, you know, I would have had more opportunities to play. Um, through that period of time at Blackpool, I know there was quite a lot of issues with the owners and whatnot. We had quite a lot of different managers. Ian Holloway's amazing. You know, a lot of the... A lot of players that were there at the time said he was like my dad. He, he just really looked after me, um, you know, to, to go in there at 18 and sort of be exposed to first-team football straight away. Um, so, a lot the first year, it was a lot of, I was just travelling, so I'd be travelling to all the games, staying in the hotels, but I wouldn't be on the bench. I'd be like 19th man, if you will. I was on the bench a couple of times. And then in that period of time, he then left to go to Crystal Palace. We had Appleton for a month, Michael Appleton. And then Paul Ince came in and, you know, he'd obviously had his son there, Tom Ince, so he, he knew all about me. And we was in pre-season in Portugal and he was just like, look, like, as soon as Tom goes, because there was talk of him going, he's like, you're going to be playing. So I made my debut uh, in the championship against Watford in the August. And then he just like, I want you to just go out alone. Just go out alone and, and get some games. And then when you come back in Jan, you, you'll be ready. But unfortunately, I had a couple injuries in that second season, just hamstring, little muscle injuries. But they were keeping me out for a while. Um, and by the time I by the time I sorted them out, because I did my hamstring twice in quick succession. So it was around November time, I believe. Um, I came back, I was ready, I was fit again. Um, and, you know, he brought me on for the last 20 minutes against Middlesbrough, did quite well. And then he got sacked the next game. So it was just one of those things, you know, in terms of my time at Blackpool as a club, loved it, loved the fans, loved training, loved the whole environment. It was just whether it was, uh, you know, manager getting sacked or me being injured, it just it just didn't happen. Um but, but you know these are things that you, you can't you can't predict. Um, but no, no, I loved it, mate. Yeah, and that that making your debut bit, I feel like that that's something we need to need to be focused on because all of what we've spoken about worked towards that moment, which was a championship debut. What was that feeling like? What was that experience for you? Uh, it was just. Obviously, I was buzzing. So when I got the, you know, the call that I was going to be coming on for like the last five minutes, and at the time Watford were top of the league as well, and we were winning one nil. So the fact that they brought me on when we're, we're winning one nil, but we're getting peppered. I think Watford had about thirty shots that game. I think it just said a lot of uh, sort of what he thought of me, and ultimately every young lad, no matter what you know, what profession they go into. Everyone dreams of being a footballer. And for me to finally make my professional debut at such a high level, I was just, I was over the moon because obviously I'd had a rough couple of years prior to that at Bolton where, you know, I felt like I was just being being stuck and halted for no reason. It was nice to sort of finally, finally achieve that. Yeah, and you mentioned, obviously, you then told to go out on loan, the new managers come in, stuff like that. That can really 
whole your thing, isn't it? So how first of all, how is having a manager on a consistent basis towards your development? Because obviously one manager might fancy, another one might not. How big of an influence is that? I think it's massive. Um, obviously, I, I say that just on my experience because you never know. Um, every single manager that comes in, they might want you. But if you then, if a manager changes and the new manager doesn't want you, it, it can then become difficult. However, when Holloway left and Appleton came in, straight away Appleton was like, yeah, I really like you. Um, and then the same with Paul Ince, he was the same. He was like, no, I really like you. So it was just, I kept... It was just difficult. It was frustrating at Blackpool because because I was still young, they would always brandish that, you know, you're still young, you need to get experience card instead of just... I feel like um, the mentality around young players has changed a lot in the last five or six years. So the likes of your Phil Foden, your Jaden Sancho's, who, who were very young, are getting the opportunities now. Whereas when I was sort of coming through at that young age, it was, it was a different mindset. It was a bit like you need to go out and play or you know, you're still a bit young. So um, all I say to any young player now, you know, I, I do mentor a, a couple of uh, players and I just say to them, go out and play. Go and play as young as you can because as soon as you then get 50 or, you know, 100 games under your belt, no manager that can ever, like, turn around and go, you need experience because you've already got it. Yeah, and so it's just hearing that. Would you almost call yourself the right player in the wrong generation then? Because as you said, yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely as feel you said, like, that kind of a player now. If one of those clubs were to were to have one, yeah, I, I think um, especially now, like there's so much more exposure as well around football at the young levels. You're seeing like seeing these players that are 15, 16, got about hundred thousand followers on you know Instagram or or whatever, um, and that's just, you know, down to the exposure of it all. But but I just feel like I'm playing catch-up now um, because I've had a bit of a, a well, a, a, there's been a couple highs, quite a lot of lows, and it's, I'm finally now, I believe, I've got the platform to, to do what I need to do to get back to where I believe I can go. Yeah, and you mentioned there's been a lot of highs, which there were, and then there's a few lows, so... Coming into this next part of your career where you're going out on loan, you obviously, I think you moved to Shrewsbury, didn't you? Yeah. Um, and you're not getting a lot of games. Was it, was it due to injuries that you weren't getting a lot of games? Was it manager? No, so again, you know, after leaving Blackpool, I, I had sort of a good number of opportunities because I was coming from a championship club, still only, you know, 19, 20 years of age. So I, I'm, I sat down with the Shrewsbury manager three or four times. Um, and with him, he was obviously just saying all the right things, you know, saying you've got to be like the main player here. Um, he wanted to sign me on loan from Blackpool when he was Fleetwood's manager. So, you know, he was just saying all the right things. It, it seemed it seemed great. I was being offered a two-year deal. Uh, seemed like a good project. That you know, the ambition was promotion. And uh, you know. I, Started pre-season flying, did really well uh, in all of the games and all the fitness sort of stuff, was training well. But we signed so many players. We signed about 15 players. And like I was saying regarding Dover and, and how pre-season goes, by the end of pre-season, he decided he wanted to play 3-5-2. And I got signed as a winger. So through no fault of my own, it, it just absolutely killed me. Um 
and I couldn't say anything because we were winning and we were playing like Barcelona and we got promoted. So ultimately, it was frustrating for me personally because I only played four games in the league that season when I was expecting to come from the championship down to league two, rip it up and go back. It, it just didn't happen like that and there was nothing that I could do. You know, I would openly speak to go and play in reserve games just so I could, um, you know, sort of do things to knock on the manager's door and be like, look, you know, I'm ready. Um, I remember one Tuesday they had Accrington away and the uh, reserve team had a senior cup final against Telford. So I opted to play in that and played in that, captain the team, got man of the match, scored a goal. Manager didn't even say anything to me the next day. So, you know, um, but no, it is, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Ultimately, you make these decisions and you believe they're going to be the right ones for you. And I can openly say at Shrewsbury that nothing more I could have done. Um, it was just the manager at the time, picked the formation, stuck with it. And I, I didn't fit into to that. So going into the second season, I'd obviously spoke to the manager previously and saying, look, I'm, I'm not happy to be here. If I'm, I'm not going to play because as soon as you stop playing or you're not being noticed, you're, you're disappearing football. So... Um, he, he said to me initially, you're going to be in my plans and then very quickly changed that. Um, so then I ended up going out on loan for, you know, the, the full season, really. I, I had a month at Mansfield, really enjoyed it there, but they couldn't fit me in the budget to take me for the full season. I then went to Wrexham where, um, again, it was a difficult one because they were doing well. So I didn't really get many games there. And then, my real breakthrough was at Lincoln, where went there and you know I played my best football to date. So yeah, that was that was my first real breakthrough, sort of in the national league, and you know scored some really good goals, was playing really well, um, and, and yeah, that, that's how how it went. Yeah, and I think first of all, the the recurring theme seems to be either you not fitting into a system or you not fitting into a type of player that the manager wants. Do you think that's almost, I don't want to say your fault, but almost as a result of you thinking, I'm going to be this. Or did you ever think that I'm willing to adapt, but they're not maybe listening to me? Yeah, the, I mean, it was never in those discussions where the manager would be saying, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. It, it was just as black and white as we're playing 3-5-2 and you're a winger. And then I'd be like, all right, well, I'll go and play number 10 in the reserve games to show I can play there. I love playing number 10 anyway. I'm not so rigid to be, you know, I want to play wing. I've, I've played striker, I've played wing, I've played 10. But ultimately, as a footballer, unfortunately, in, in a team game, you're relying on a manager to pick you when there's 25 players and, and he only can pick 11. So, um, no, it's never been down to that. There was certain times when we would, you know, it'd be more of a first team playing in the reserves and it would ultimately be the players that aren't getting a game. So I'd have to play right wing back or left wing back. And I remember we played, uh, who do we play? We played Walsall and I played right wing back and got three assists, but it didn't change the manager's, change the manager's thinking. Um, that's just football. And from the outside, obviously, you know, People don't see these sort of things, which is why I'm more than happy to, to speak on my experiences because some people just don't understand what goes on. And and um, obviously, lead, leading on to how, how I met you at, at university, 
my dissertation was all around the sort of sort of investigating the impacts and challenges faced by players coming out of full-time football because because I know exactly what it is. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and yeah, ultimately, it's, it's a tough game. It's a ruthless game and you've got to be very mentally strong because there's going to be more lows than highs. Definitely. And when you look at how your career has gone, so you've been at Blackpool and then you end up, uh, was it South End? Sorry, it was South, wasn't it? Southport, yeah, Southport. Yeah. So in terms of the football pyramid, you've gone from there downwards. Yeah, yeah. But in, in actuality, in your career, in terms of your development, you've actually gone upwards because you've had that opportunity to go and, and play and, and yeah, express yeah. yourself. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, ultimately it was, you know, still still young and it was just the same conversation all the time, still young, go and get games. So naturally, if you're not going to get games at, uh, say, the Championship, the way that football works is clubs will be like, right, well, you need to drop to play. Whereas ability-wise, I'm comfortable at the Championship, but you just have to drop and you drop and you drop and, until you find a level where where you're getting regular games. So it, it seemed to be for me that the National League was where I was getting a lot of games and ultimately went to Southport for um, for six months, did really well because I just backed myself. I said, I'll sign a six-month contract um, and hopefully move. So I got all my games, did really well, and then there was a few clubs that were interested and then I ended up signing for Dover. How was that mentally for you? Because the drop, the drop, the drop. Now, anyone else could have gone, oh, I'm going down again. I'm going down. I'm getting further away from where I want to end up being. How did you deal with that? It was obviously disappointing um, because, I mean, you can get a lot of deluded people that, that maybe think they're better than they are. Whereas I know how good I am. So just to, just to sort of, be dropping down to a level I don't really want to be at and naturally, you know, everything uh, reduces. So the standard um, the standard changes massively. The facilities aren't as good. Um, the coaching isn't as good. So it's always difficult when you've started high and, you, you know, because I've, I've, I've got a pedigree in Premier League upbringing, then obviously playing championship, whatnot. So you're experiencing sort of the finer things. Um, but for me, it just makes me appreciate it more because when you're at a certain level and you're used to higher, you're like, right, I appreciate it more. I understand what this is now, but it only makes me, just speak about myself, it makes me hungry. It makes me really hungry because ultimately I know what I need to do to get back. And I don't think that that confidence is, some might see it as arrogant, but I think it's well-based because, as you said, you've gone from Premier League upbringing where you've had Arsenal knocking on your door and now you're dropping, dropping, dropping. And a lot of those reasons were because managers just didn't give shot or they didn't, you know, they wanted to make you something that you're not. And I think in that sense, your confidence is well well-placed. Did anyone ever look at you and go, oh, you're being arrogant and you had to sort of defend yourself? Not really, no. I mean, obviously, because I've always had the conversation. It's like a fine line between confidence and arrogance. But I believe that arrogance—you you are quite big-headed, and I do 
I do think I'm quite a humble person. You know, I don't brag or whatnot. I just go about my business. I like to think I'm a model professional. Um, and yeah, I just, I just, I just believe in myself. I think if you don't believe in yourself, who else is? So ultimately, I think you've just got to be so, uh, you've got to be so confident in your own ability because when you get these knockdowns and the big knockdowns that not many people can cope and a lot of my friends who have got similar backgrounds to me have, have give up they've give up playing um so you know for me i think it's just a testament to sort of myself and and how i hold myself and and sort of how i've coped um is why i'm still here playing today and that that part of you know being confident despite the knockdowns as you mentioned some other people might not be able to handle that. So for people that are watching and, you know, they're maybe not in football, in any industry, because knockdowns happen anywhere, what is your advice in terms of dealing with those knockdowns and still believing that, you know, you are good enough and you will make it? Um, well, I think, it, I think it starts from just me personally. At a certain age, I decided, you know, this is what I wanted to do. So no matter what you set your mind to, no matter whatever industry it is, You've got to understand that everything isn't going to go plain sailing. But if you always have in the back of your mind the goal that you're trying to achieve, you just need to keep working towards that. Because, you know, for, for me, my my dream was just to become a professional footballer. But when I obviously, you know, was playing at the higher echelons, it was then my dream to be a Premier League footballer. Now, being realistic, that, you know, that won't happen now. But... I'm still telling myself that I want to I want to give myself a good service because I know how good I am. So my new target is to try and play as high as I can. Do you know what I mean? So I've given myself a platform now where hopefully I can go and play, do really well, and we'll just take it from there. So getting on to how the, the two of us met, you, you went into university and, and did a coaching course. What drove you towards that? So following Dover, so I was at Southport, got a move to Dover. I was meant to be replacing the main striker there. He scored 40 odd goals, um, but he decided to stay again, killed me a bit. So I went there, played two games, scored two goals. But unfortunately, it's not, it's not a lot of football in six months. So during that period of time, I weren't really getting any offers um, I then got an offer from Darlington, so signed for them for two years, moved up there with one of my friends that was signed at Hartpool, but I was getting so bored in the day um, because their training was at night, first experience of that, so I'd watched every series under the sun, I was thinking I need to do more with my time, and I'd always kept in touch with a psychologist from Bolton who was a lecturer at UCFB, obviously always just keep in touch from time to time, see how we're getting on. And he just said, like, why don't why don't you uh, why don't you apply for this? And at the time, I was like, nah, it's not for me. I'm not really interested in it. But the more and more I thought about it, I just thought, what is the harm in it? Because I was fortunate enough that they were going to give me it fully funded because of my background. So it was just a case of if I can get through these three years, I'll have a degree at the end of it. And and that's ultimately how 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 it sort of transpired. So because of the fact that I'd signed for Darlington, who were part time, B 
because they were training twice a week. So I had so much time on my hands, which I wasn't used to. Um, I then thought, right, well, I can fill this time in by, by doing this degree. So do you plan on doing anything with it? So you've got a coaching degree. Do you have any aspirations to maybe when you finish playing, go into coaching? Not particularly, not at this moment in time. Um, as, as I've said, you know, in the, in the last few weeks, completing that degree is my biggest achievement in life. You know, a lot of people may um, grow up wanting to be a professional footballer, whatever, like I have, but to be able to complete that degree alongside running another business that I have um, and play football is so difficult. And it's just, that sort of shows me as a person, shows my mentality, because there has been times where there's certain things within the uni course where I got um, accused of copying, etc. when you know me, I don't even go to uni. So, um, there was a lot of things that were sent there to test me and, I, you know, I didn't let it affect me. And uh, I just can't wait for the graduation now because, you know, I just think it will be a, a good reward for sort of three years of hard work. And you mentioned the business and I remember when you set that one up and I was wondering, where's this come from? Was that again to fill up the time? Yeah, pretty much, mate, yeah. Um, I, obviously, you know, I had so much time on my hands and I just feel like... Time goes so quick. I can't believe that I'm 27 now. Do you know what I mean? Like, time just goes so quick. And I feel like you, you can't just waste away. So, fortunately for me now, I've got this other business that I've, you know, very successful with for the last four or five years. Um, and long may it continue. So, obviously, a lot of footballers, the ones that sort of do have things going on outside of football and they do invest their time into other things, the transition does seem to be a lot better. Whereas the ones that, you know, leave it too late or whatever, they're the ones that you tend to find struggle. So, you know, you've, you've got the business, you've got the uni degree, you're, you're now at Dover. Do you feel well set to go and succeed now? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, so how this Dover move came, came around, I believe, like you were talking about anyone, in any industry it is really key to network and you know the people that were still at dover um from when i was there i'd always kept in contact with so prior to the first lockdown i was in at halifax was doing really well for them they wanted to sign me and then lockdown here and you know so so that went kibosh but it, it didn't stop me you know for the last 16 months alongside doing the uni degree i've been you know, relentless in my pursuit of fitness, trying to make sure I'm in the in the right shape at the top of my sort of profession so that when the opportunity comes, I'm ready. Unfortunately, um, you know, I got an offer to come back here, which I'm I'm more than delighted with. And it's all paying off. You know, I, I don't I don't believe anything's fluke. I believe that if you prepare right in in anything you're gonna get the you're gonna reap the rewards eventually. So for me now, yeah, I, I am definitely set up. I, I can just focus on football. Um obviously the degree was amazing, so it's great to have another string to my bow. And yeah, I just wanna attack every day and try and get as much out of every day as I can. Yeah, and, and just looking at the whole journey that we've talked about, the common theme has been 
you know, someone giving you a shot or someone trying to make you something you're not or someone trying to bring you down almost from far away. Do you think it's easy for someone to almost feel flattened by that and almost feel sorry for themselves, whereas you've done the opposite and gone, I'm going to prove them wrong? Yeah, you know, there's been there's been plenty of times where I've had discussions with my mum and dad where it's it's always been a kid because, you know, they've followed me everywhere. No matter where I've gone, they've always travelled, you know, to watch games or you name it. And I sat down with them during lockdown when obviously, you know, I didn't have a club for 16 months. And I was just saying to them, like, I just don't think I'm ever going to get this look in, in football because within football in particular, you need to be on the right side of luck and opportunity. Now, luck, of course, will come into the, you know, manager picking you or not getting injured. And at the same time, it links with opportunity where you do need the manager to give you a consistent chance. So I was just like, I was at that time, I was thinking to myself, if nothing happens, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to play anymore because I've done everything. All I say is control the controllables. What can I possibly control? I can make sure that I'm in the right, I'm preparing right to be ready for any opportunity or if there's training, do the best I can in training. And that's all you can control because ultimately you can't pick the team. The manager picks the team. So um, I did have a few, you know, difficult conversations with my, my parents and they were upset because they were, they were like, you shouldn't give up. Please don't give up because it's not you. Like, you know what I mean? There's there's nothing you can do. Like it's it's completely it's external situations that have led you to being here. So um yeah, the, there's always for sure there's plenty of people that have been flattened by it. Um I was just I weren't flattened that it was more just a case of I was becoming realistic to the to the potentiality that it just wasn't gonna happen for me. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously if you look at you know, my career to date and, and the experiences that I, I've had, it's very rare that it's been down to me. So yeah. that, that, that's all it was. It was it was just sort of being more realistic. But I'm, I'm grateful that obviously I've got this opportunity now. Yeah, and I think you, you summed up pretty well when you said you've pretty much been on the wrong side of luck. And that is basically what's happened. Someone might look at their series of events and go, Oh, you can't have been that unlucky all those times, but in reality, you were. <laughs> you were that unlucky. Um, so before before we wrap up the, the podcast, uh, there's the last few questions. So first of all, your career has mostly been in England. If at all you got an offer from abroad, would you take it? Yes. Yeah, so when I was at Shrewsbury, um, obviously after that, I had a discussion with the manager and he was like, you're not in my plans. I actually had an offer to go out to Holland. So... Um, it was a team called Dordrecht. They'd just been relegated from the Eredivisie, and I was buzzing. So I went out, went out there for a week. Obviously, I was thinking with them being, you know, a Dutch team, pretty much all of them will speak English. So went out there, and it was, it was just outrageous. Um, the, the apartment I was in that they give me was was amazing. Um, the facilities were great, but I just got treated like such an outsider. Like no one wanted to speak to me in English. Um, I would be like, say we're in training, I would have to wait, obviously not just once the uh, manager stopped speaking, I'd just have to wait and sit back to understand what's going on. And no, no one would want to tell me what was going on. So I played one game for them in pre-season, did well, but then just decided, nah, it's not for me because 
I just didn't, I didn't get that vibe that they wanted me to be there. It was, I just felt like such an outsider. So, um, yeah, I would have definitely gone and going abroad has never been something that I've thought I wouldn't do. Um, it's just whether it arises again. Well, fair enough. I mean, I think it's, it's good to have that open mind to be, to say, you know, I, I would take it. Um, so you're at Dover now. What's your objectives or your personal aims for the season? My objectives, obviously, is just to sort of get in the team, um, get some games, get get a regular uh, number of games. And once once I get regular games, everything else takes care of itself. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not here trying to be like, I want to score X amount of goals or whatever. I just believe that certainly if you prepare right, everything else takes care of itself. So as long as I get in that team, you know, who knows where I'll be next season. And on, on that note, uh, another question I usually ask my guests, where do you see yourself in, in 10 years? Where would you like to see yourself? Or what would you have liked to have achieved? Uh, if we're talking... <laughs> If we're talking about football, I would like to get back to League One, top half of League One if I can. I think that's a realistic target. Obviously, it'd be amazing to to get back to the Championship, but just looking at sort of where I am now and age, and I know age can be a, a thing in football, whereas, you know, when you get past 30, people think you don't know whatever, which is different for me. I, I might be 27, but I'm still running, running in... Uh, Running around twenty-two-year-olds, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's, there's no issue on the on that side of things. But, but yeah, if I can get back to League One, top of League One, I, I'd be absolutely buzzing that. Yeah, and, and hopefully, I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone on this listening to this will will hope that you do, you do exactly that because I, I think we're all excited, and I think I'd like to see your your comeback because I do like a comeback story. Who doesn't love a comeback story? And that would be uh, that would be good to see. But. Um, is there anything that you'd like to tell people that have experienced the similar things to you? Um, any advice for them? Uh, just, just sort of echoing what I said earlier, really. Re- remember why you started. There's never going to be a smooth journey in any profession. So ultimately, you know, when you do get those lows, don't, don't, even when you get the highs, don't ever get too high and don't ever get too low. Just always remember and always remember why you're doing what you're doing because ultimately um, that that's what will keep you driving. That'll be the driving force to you to keep going. And alongside that, you know, if you are struggling, don't bottle it in. Like, speak to people, whether it's your friends, your, your family, there's people out there, the PFA are really good if, if people ever need them. So... So yeah, like definitely, definitely um, use your network for sure. Yeah, and uh, I think that's a good uh, good point to end the podcast. So thank you very much for joining me. I think this has been a brilliant discussion. I've enjoyed hearing your story. I think exact kind of story that I wanted to be on this podcast, and I think it's been brilliant. And I hope if anyone had a certain opinion of you when they watched this, they've changed that now, and uh, hopefully you'll go and have an amazing season. So thanks for coming on, mate. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, mate. Okay, and uh, that is the end of the podcast. Everyone, thank you for watching. Uh, make sure to like, comment, share, subscribe. I'll drop uh, James's socials down below. I'll drop Dover's socials as well so you can follow his progress. And, of course, I'll drop a link to your, to your website as well. Why not get you a few sales? Um, thank you very much for joining us.